guys. Sorry I had to cut the song short. Once again, the studio is acting up and everything is all clunky sounding. But welcome to Wednesday Night Musical Osmosis. I am your host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, humble servant of rock and roll. And as always, I am broadcasting to you live from the land of meth and honey, Caraville, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my beautiful, my amazing, my mountain fabulous producer, the juggernaut to my justice, the strength to my steel, the hope in my hell, Daniel Prizer. What's shaking, baby? Uh, same old, same, baby. Just okay, well, our... to rock out. I needed to hear something really, you know, loud and raw, and so I'm, I'm feeling a lot better now. Nice. I'm sure that monster helped you, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool. All right, well, it's been a couple weeks since we've been on the air, so I am bouncing off the fucking walls here. Um, Real quick, I guess we'll get all the business out of the way. We have taken a break from the political show until the first of the year, and same with your show, sweetheart, right? Friday Night Trivia? Yes, Friday Night Drunken Trivia is also taking holiday leave so that uh, I can get all the shopping and cooking and such done. And not just that, I don't want to be weighed down with doing a political show during the holidays. That stuff just, sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming for me. But we are still going to keep trucking along with the music show. And I'm excited because tonight we have a guest who is, this band to me has almost a pathological dedication to what they do. They are super dedicated. And the thing about... The band coming up, which is going to be Lips from Anvil, is one of the things I really like about this band is you always know, and, I, and this is a good thing, you always know it's Anvil. And, and yeah. they have, to me, the embodiment of metal. Like if a fucking alien landed on this planet, like I had an ET experience, I had to kind of show them around and teach them about like Earth culture, and I had to describe metal in one word, it would be Anvil. Yeah, right. Ball. What are you, you chiming Absolutely. in here? Yeah, and you know, that's, um, it's one of those things where it's they have their own flavor, uh, their own style, and they're always true to it, no matter what. There's no selling out here, and I really like them. Yeah, and um, you know, I like a band that I can always count on. It's going to have that sound. One of my favorite bands is Pennywise, and it's the same reason. I mean, I like that I could put an Anvil album in. And it could, I could never have heard it before, and I'll know who it is as soon as I mm-hmm. pop it in. And everybody knows who listens to the show, who follows the show. I only have bands on who have had an impact on me. And I'm going to give you an example, and I'm not name-dropping because I've been doing this show for like six months, and I've pro- I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the air. But my best friend, Jason Netherton, we've been friends since third grade, and he is just a brilliant guy. I could talk to him all day long. He, well, he started a band, a couple local bands, but he went on to form Dying Fetus, and now he's in Misery Index, although it's kind of part-time because he's in Canada right now working on his doctrine. So soon he's going to be Dr. Death Metal. But people always say, well, why don't you get Jason to come on a show? And as much as I love Jason, as much as I think he is brilliant, I'm not too much into the band so I would feel kind of like a fraud if I had someone on here I wasn't totally into. And a lot of the people, most of the bands we've had on here, it's been people I've been into 
the music has had an impact on me. And why I do like Anvil, and another reason I bring up Jason is because the first time I ever heard of Anvil, I always like to set the Wayback Machine and tell people about the first time I've heard of the band. The first time I heard of Anvil, I actually grew up in PG County right outside of D.C. and Maryland, and so did Jason. Like I said, we've been friends since third grade. I moved away for a while to Pittsburgh, came back and moved to Waldorf, Maryland, next county over. And Waldorf, it was like fucking footloose. They had banned it. The city had actually banned MTV because MTV was the devil. And I couldn't get MTV, which means I couldn't see Headbangers Ball. So on the weekends, I'd go stay in PG County with Jason, and I'd, we'd watch Headbangers Ball together. And the first time I had heard of Anvil was on that show with their video Mad Dog. And I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. And I went out and bought Strength of Steel the next day, and it's all history from there. But, I mean, the thing that really had an impact on me was the Anvil movie, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way who've been turned on Anvil since Anvil, the story of Anvil's come out, that the movie – you remember that movie, Rudy, with the – I think it was the dude from Lord of the Rings – you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with the movie, but it's one of those where I just I've purposely chosen not to watch it because it's set like uh-huh. where I'm from, and I'm like, no, I, I, I live there. I don't care. <laughs> well, Rudy, for anybody who doesn't know, Rudy's like this movie about this scrawny, like underdog, short kid who wants to get on a Notre Dame football team, and the kid just never gets up, gives up. Like he is just like a pit bull, tenacious, trying to get on his team. At the end of the movie, of course, the coach puts him in for the last play. And when people ask me about the Anvil movie, I'm like, it's like watching Rudy, but with beers and badass metal guitar, instead of like <laughs> I, like footballs and college fight songs. Like, th- right. that's the kind of impact. When I sat there and watched that movie for the first time, I ordered it like the day it came out, like I always used to do off deep discount. And I was sitting there with my girlfriend at the time, and I, it was just, these are the things, just like we had Steve on from the Gits a couple weeks ago in his movie, these are the things, especially this time of year when I start going through seasonal depression, where I, like, these are the things that move me and inspire me and get me off my ass. And when every time I watch that movie, it inspires me to go do something else. So I have to give a big thank you to Lips for that. I mean, I'm sure he gets a lot of that, though. But let's go ahead and log him in here. Lips, are you with me? I'm I'm with you, man. Wow. All righty. Thank you so much for coming on the Thank show. You. There might be a little bit of a delay, so I'm not trying to cut you off, but sometimes it sounds silent because of the phone difference or whatever. There's like a six, ten-second delay. So how you been doing okay. since the movies come out? Why don't you fill us in on, you know, where you're at now? Um, I'm I'm still the same, man. <laughs> you know, I'm still the same to, trying to trying to make my first million. <laughs> nice. You know, I'm Well, you are well on your way. Well, I'm on my way. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to say, please tell me they're paying you now. Like somebody, some record company has got to be paying you guys. You don't make money from record companies. Not anymore. Maybe yeah, once upon a time you did, but... In today's day and age, how do you sell re- how do you sell records? Yeah. yeah anyone under sure. thirty doesn't even know what that term means. They're like, a "What?" Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I, like, okay, records, CDs. How do you sell it when you can get it for free? Like, That's true. Show me, some, 
sell me some air and water. Okay, well, the water, we've been scammed like, like crazy everywhere. Everybody buys bottled water, but I don't know. Maybe they'll buy bottled music. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, that's, I was... that's the reality. That's the true reality of the music industry. You're creating music um, for the people that love music, whether it's disposable or not. I guess that's, a, that's, a, that's, another, that's another issue, but um, the music ends up being nothing more than your advertisement to get fans to come to your show, to pay that ticket price, which is absolutely astronomical in this day and age, or buy your T-shirt, which is also astronomically expensive. But the reason that, that these things are as expensive as they are is because there's nowhere else to make money in the music yeah. industry. And that's what, that's yeah, what the music industry has turned into. So, um, I don't think the I fans think, mind spending a little extra, though, to buy a T-shirt or get into the shows. Because if you're really into a band, you want to support them. And, I mean, I would absolutely. pay $20 for a T-shirt at a concert. I, would, I wouldn't pay $15 for in a store, $10 right. for in a store. Because I want to support right. the band because the band's given us so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's how people feel about it. And, you know, it's funny because um, even during the Anvil, when we was the Anvil movie and the onset of it, we initially weren't selling T-shirts at the movie theaters. Like, we'd actually play in the movie theaters, and we were just trying to sell our CDs, and it was, we were selling This Is 13s, and it, it was doing fairly well. But when we added T-shirts, the T-shirts was were the double the amount of the CDs. How does that work? <laughs> I, don't, I kind of don't get that. But, but I, think, I think what it was, um, certainly after the onset of everything, This Is 13 became very accessible on the Internet for free. So the T-shirts they couldn't get for free, so they'll buy that. Exactly. So that's how, that's how and why, and why I say what I'm saying, that it's, it's what it is. It's not that I'm, I'm not talking about it in, in an angry or, dis, or, like, or disappointed. I'm just talking about the state of things. You know, and it's not that it's bad. You want to go out and work in, in rock and roll, then you have to go out and work. It's the only way you're going to make money. You're not going to get making money by sitting on your butt uh, waiting for royalties from record sales. There are days. <laughs> and yeah. see, that's the difference is you're able to roll with the punches and you don't seem like you're resistant to that change. You accept no, it as a reality where a lot of bands I don't. I embrace it. No, I embrace it because that's what I've exactly. been doing all along and wanting to do all along is play live. That's all that, in fact, that is the most gratifying aspect of what I do. And, where and no more day job. The people I meet, and no more day job. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, I've got a ton to get to. This is the burning question I have for you because I was doing a little bit of research for the show. I read this on the Internet. I don't know if it was true, but when I read it, it floored me. I read online, and I, like I said, I don't know if this is true, but you were offered by Lemmy. He wanted you to play guitar for Motorhead, and you said no. So my question is, is it true? And how do you say no to Lemmy? I don't even know Lemmy. If he called me at 3 in the morning and asked me to fly out and mow his lawn, I would and, be like, yes, and, sir. 
And that's why my that's why my older brother still loves me. <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's 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 we are our own thing, and um, there's a number of, on a number of different levels. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because I'm number one. I'm the main guy of Anvil. Um, right. Uh, and that would have been destroying my own my own creation, which is sort of anti-artistic. If you understand what I mean, it would be uh, abandoning my 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 dearest friend, which is Rob. I didn't want to do that. Definitely. Um, the the other aspect, uh, I was right in the middle of writing and recording Forge and Fire. Had my own mm-hmm. my own my own future and my own destiny to make. Mm-hmm. And it was at a point that it was a very crucial point. It was either do I continue with Anvil and do Forge and Fire or do I join Motorhead and maybe fade into obscurity or get fired or Maybe that would have been good. Who knows? I don't know. I didn't do it. I didn't do it because I, it didn't feel like it was the right thing. I'm the lead vocalist of my own band, and I like to write my own songs, and I certainly wouldn't want to infringe upon Lemmy trying to take anything from him, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah totally. And it's one of the reasons people have such love and respect for you is because, to me, jumping on the Motorhead thing would be kind of an artistic shortcut, but you're playing the long game, and you're like, look, I've got my thing, I love this thing, and I'm not going to sell it out so I can jump on board over here. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think you have such an impact on people. Well, it's, it's self-determination and self-belief. It's not about I'm going to jump on somebody else's wagon and they're going to take me there. No, it's about it's, for me. It's 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 about my thing. It's me. It might be a selfish endeavor, but it's self fulfillment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If it's it's in, it was in my heart to make Anvil. It was for Rob and I. Rob and I started playing together since 1973. Okay, it goes a long wow. time before before Anvil actually existed or the band, the recording band. But Rob and I have been playing together since 1973. So we're really a 70s band. Mm -hmm. By all... um, And it's it's actually interesting. Um, I'm a few years younger than the Judas Priest guys. Um, Maybe three or four years younger. Maybe in some cases, maybe six years younger. Um, right. I'm I'm ten years younger than Lemmy. Wow. Know, but it's so it's it's sort of like the old an older brother to me, and he's always sort of treated me like that. Um, nice. Cool. No, like we're, we're he, like it didn't have any effect on our friendship, and in fact, it's just mutual respect because he knows how much I love what he does. And I, I think that the feeling is mutual because I think to a great degree we come from a lot of the same place, like musically. Mm-hmm. Like when Lemmy and I get talking about the Beatles or Jimi Hendrix or like the 60s, it's, it's of one mind. 
you know, it's, that's the stuff that we live, live for, you know? So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot, there's a lot of commonality and, uh, I mean, my, my real life older brother taught me about all the things that Lemmy was actually experiencing as, as at the same age as my older brother, but I kind of tagged along, if you understand what I mean. I was right. way, way, for, let's put it this way, um, when Hendrix came out, that was 67, I was 11 years old. I mean, it doesn't seem proper that an 11-year-old would be into Jimi Hendrix, but I was, because I had an older brother who was, you know, 17, right. 18, like Lemmy, right? But the difference was that when I met Lemmy, I found out that Lemmy was actually Jimi Hendrix's roadie. <laughs> yeah, I had heard that before, actually. Oh, it was incredible. The stories that he told me are just like, oh, my God. That's, that's I would out of control, be yeah, it's, so it's let me, just, let me ask amazing, you, I'm man. watching them. I'm sorry, go ahead. Pardon me? Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Like I said, there's a little bit of a delay. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll move on to the next thing then. Like I said, there's somewhat, somewhat of a delay on here. I was watching. Okay, I didn't. I didn't hear. I didn't hear what you said. That's what happened. Oh, you're, you're good. Right? You're good. So when I'm watching a movie, and I'm watching all the trials you guys are going through, the struggles, the ups and downs, were there any points you completely lost faith and you were just like really ready to walk away, or was it just usual band frustration? That's it. I quit. Or was there a time when you really said, "That's it. We're done." Um. It was, I think, the lowest moment I've ever experienced was there was a period of time that I let a roadie live at my, live at my apartment with me. And he went in, and I'd gone out, I was at rehearsal, and I came home, and he'd rummaged through everything and stolen a whole bunch of my money. Oh. And I, at that point, it was such a, a crucial point. I, I almost, I felt as though I'd had enough because it was like I was broke. And is this during, like, the strength of steel time, or is this earlier in the career, or? Yeah, um, yeah it was in around, it would have been in around, actually, after pound for pound. Gotcha. It's in around that period of time because it was the, one of the roadies that was working as our sound man during the pound for pound tour. I let him stay at my house, and that's what he did. And it was at the end wow. of that. And there was a moment or two. I'm just going, you know what? I am so fed up. I've I've give everything away to everybody. I let somebody live at my house, and they steal my money. Like, I was, like, really, like, on the edge. <laughs> yeah. It just, I mean, I, I don't know. It was, it, it didn't last. It, it was, you know. Did Rob the, bring you back from that? Or did you have to dig yeah, yourself it, out of that? Well, it, what happened was it was the way that things looked. It, 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 could, it became suspicious that everybody 
that I knew could have done it. Because I, my, my, my apartment was left in a way that any of my friends could have gotten in because everybody, like, there was just three or four of them, you know, and Rob being one of them had the key to my apartment. Mm-hmm. So right. I, the reason I was feeling so, so distraught and so lost is because I didn't know who, I could, who, who could have done it. Who could I, should I mistrust? Got you. So it really right. shook you then. You know, it like put, it put every, and that, that's why I said maybe I should just walk away from everybody and then just, it, 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 I can't go wrong that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If, if I can't right. trust one of them, then maybe I shouldn't trust any of them. That's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you ever and, get any thought about relocating during any of the early years, maybe to the States, and you would have had kind of an easier journey to where you wanted to get to? Well, you know, this is there's so many complications and things that I could talk, tell, uh, get into great detail and what, what happened at certain moments and what those things, you know, it's, Everything is connected in, in, in a sort of a stream. And it, whatever you do affects everything that goes down, come, goes after it. Right. Um, so, you know, you get involved with a management company and now you're out on the road and you make decisions that you're going to make certain demands on the management. You want this particular, this particular item looked after and if it isn't, you're not going to go do the gig. And, he looks after the item, let's say, and then at the end of it, the management goes, you know what, these guys aren't worth it. And it's all because of, the, it's all because of attitude and the things that were going on at a particular moment, you know, decision-making at a certain moment. Everything has an effect everywhere down the line. I don't, you know what, it, it's, at a certain point you have to go, you know what, you got to do the best that you can and try to keep the, the most positive attitude that you can through the worst of times and not let and really try very hard. And I say this because it's one of my, it's probably if, if I have a failing, it's by letting emotion drive my decisions. And yeah, I know what that, that's like. That, that is, and, and that is an, a very, very damaging, damaging element. And those kind of things um, have repercussions. And you can regret all you want. It will change nothing. So what's the point? So, you know, like hindsight is always twenty twenty, And you can always say shoulda, woulda, coulda. But you didn't. So what's, what is there to really... What does there really say? The way that things went, we're all for where it had to go in order for it to be where it is today. And that's the way you have to look at it. Definitely. And I mean, I, mean, I think it, it makes the success more sweet now because you've worked so hard and so long and so diligently. I mean, maybe if and you it also, this... it also It also cements the fact, and this is a very important aspect, my decision to become a musician was made when I was 10 years old, and I said, I want to do this for a lifetime. 
I knew that by the time I was okay and I heard Hendrix and I knew that, it, that this music was underground. This music was not for everybody. And it wasn't to me. You weren't doing it because you're thinking I'm going to make millions of dollars. You were doing it because I want to do what, what I'm hearing on that piece of music. I, want, I, I feel that soul. I want to recreate. I want to, I want to be artistic with what I do. You make that decision. And then I went for it on a lifetime basis. And I, that, that, that meant to me, because I knew what that meant, in the sense that in order to be hard rock or metal, it is underground. That means that you can't write bubblegum music. You know, like there were, and I, I almost call it messages <laughs> in music, and even some of the, uh, Jimi Hendrix's lyrics, there ain't no surf music anymore. You know, there were. Right. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if you know what that's from, but it, and there were things that were known about some of his concerts. He he'd make fun of pop music in its day and do a couple chords and make it the whole audience laughing at the at the piece of music and scoffing, basically making fun of pop music. Um, it was an attitude about being. Hard rock in general was an attitude about going against the grain. At least it was to me from the time I was a kid. And I've never let go of those elements, okay? And I knew that I'm not going to be... That it, I, I didn't want to be a one-hit wonder. So in order to not be a one-hit wonder, you have to do sort of what's in your heart and not ever sell out and make that your long-term plan. I mean, if, if there was a long-term plan from my perspective as a kid, I'd want to record 20 albums and then I'll go commercial. <laughs> right. Right. At the end of my career, if ever. But I want to be able to be doing this for a lifetime. And if you make a one-hit wonder, that means you're going to come and go. Mm-hmm. So We've definitely seen a lot was, of that. Now, understand this, that, there's an, that with this philosophy, there comes almost a, there's a, almost a, a psychological aspect to the way that, that I've carried on through the years that I think that to a great degree I've created my own environment and my own faith. That if I was, when I was given the chance, I made the wrong decisions, maybe not on a conscious level, but maybe on a subconscious level. That maybe when I wrote, I'm a mad dog, and I wrote the lyrics, looking for a bitch in heat, begging for a doggy treat, I knew, just like you knew, that's never going to be on the radio. And maybe right, that's and that wasn't why, your aim, and so maybe, that frees maybe, you up to do so much more. Yeah, but that, and maybe that's why you respect us, for not never selling out. Mm-hmm. Do you understand that there's a whole philosophy, and that I've actually not only just followed through with it for a year or two on my on my first bunch of records, but for 15 albums and continuing. Okay. Mm-hmm. I still I still work against the grain. <laughs> well, I think because, a lot of people forget too. In the 80s, there was, and I don't know if this reached. Canada like it reached here, but there was a hysteria that anything harder than Bon Jovi was devil worship music, and your kids were going to 
like slay their family if they listen to White Snake. I mean, were those crazy times? Did that impact you up in Canada? That a whole metal is evil. Did, did that touch you up there? Did that affect your career at all? Um, I don't think it really had any effect on my career. In fact, if it had any kind of effect, it probably would a positive effect. You know, the the, the louder that these these idiots protest protest about it, the the more people were, were attracted to it. I mean, at the end of the day, I I. I I don't think I don't think any of the negative uh, the way that, that, that metal music is just a, a complete reflection and and the, the the boundaries that when you say metal music is so far and beyond it's 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 absolutely ludicrous that we all sit here and try to pigeonhole everything it's absolutely insane um, when the reality is the invention of the electric guitar is the is the where it all changed. And from that point on, it's almost all the same. And the cross, the cross use of electric guitar is in every kind of music in, modern, in the modern world. So at the end of the day, there's no such thing as this is metal, this is, or this kind of metal, that kind of metal, this, that, 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 that. There's only two kinds of music. Music I like, and music I don't like, and that's the nice. way people should people should begin to adopt that philosophy. And that way, you're allowing a lot. You're you're opening your mind and your soul to a lot more than you've ever imagined, and you'd probably be a lot more better off. But who am I to preach? Everybody's entitled to do whatever the hell they want to do, and that's fine. <laughs> but I'm just saying that you know that's the way I look at. It. Right, and I mean, that's human nature, I think, to label things. I remember when I first got into metal, and I moved to Waldorf, and people were like, what kind of music are you into? And I said, metal, and they're like, are you into power metal, thrash metal, death metal? Like, I, now I have to pick oh. these subgenres to fit in? Like, it's not even good enough that we enjoy the same thing? Now I have to get that to that granular level of what type you know, of metal? I mean, okay, you, to, to, for, the, for the humanity to get to the next to the next level. We have to dismantle difference. That's what Ooh. we have to do. And, and when I say that, man, that's very deep what I mean by that. And that's why every, everything we do is we compare it. Is it better mm-hmm. or worse? Are they, is it different than me? And we look for the difference. We never look for the commonality. We're always looking for the difference. And that's our failing. On every level, man. When you, you're going, I'm going to listen to the missed piece of music, and if it's different than what I like, I won't like it. And we're looking Great. for the that's, difference. But- I think that's less true today, though, than it was when I was a kid because I don't see people being shoved into those little boxes as much. I mean, when I was a teenager, your whole social life depended, your identity depended on what type of music you listened to. And, I mean, we've got no, a no. daughter who Now the labels are just different. That's all. Yeah, yeah the labels I mean, are all different. The right. They're still labels, nonetheless. But the kids, mm-hmm. everybody... And looking for your differences, trying to find your place and where you're, 
where you feel where you feel comfortable. In other words, you, where you feel you've got things in common with others. Right. It, which is, if we if we started to dismantle the difference and only looked to find our commonalities, then we'd start realizing how much we all are alike, and how much all of our all of like how how is it that some bands get godariety because there's something about them that appeals to millions, yeah, and that we all have it in common. Why? You know, like that's I, a good those question. Are the that we, these, these are the things that we have to be able to uh, grasp as a as as a human race and be able to run with it to improve. You know, that's like what is it that we. You know, and, and, and in a great to a great degree, music is that phenomenon, one of the only phenomenons in humanity where people actually go, okay, the whole world likes you too, no matter where they're from, or the whole world likes Metallica, no matter where you're from, or the whole world likes Iron Maiden, no matter from where you're from. What gives that commonality? Right. I mean, those, so, those are the sociological questions that I'm always in quandary of. I mean, what does this mean? How do you how do you how do we figure this out? How do we make the world a better place? How do we start realizing that that um, you know, I, like I just came from South America, and they they really feel as though they're the only metal people in the world. Okay. Right. Everywhere that I go. People want to feel as though that they've their individuality is is theirs and theirs alone. That as if okay, wherever you guys are living, that's the biggest metal area. But the real truth is, metal is a worldwide phenomenon. It's everywhere. It permeates every country on the face of this planet. There are metal people that are just as passionate in every country, town, and city, everywhere in this world. And, and that's what I've come to discover. And there is no real, um, there's really no border on that. There's no real difference in that. Whether it's a fan from South America or whether it's a fan from Australia or whether it's a fan from India, I mean, they're all as passionate and believe themselves to be a very small, 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 insignificant community when they're actually part of a massive, massive community on a worldwide basis that they just don't see well, further than their own little bedrooms and their own turntables or their own CD player or MP3 player. They think they're the only one listening to that piece of music when in actual fact there's people listening to that piece of music in hundreds of towns and countries all over the world all at the same time. You just don't even know it. But see, the fact that you have thought this out, the fact that you have seen this, that's what makes you an artist and not an accountant. You know what I'm saying? Because you see that. But what what do you do with the other half of the planet that is accountants? How do you get them there? I mean, I don't want to get too cultural or political, but I'm just fascinated by what you were saying. But honestly, how do you get the accountants on board with the artists? 
Well, it's, what's really interesting is they probably really enjoy music. You know? Yeah, probably for uh, different reasons. Yeah, but maybe for different reasons. Maybe they're... You know, I mean, I think that it's... Music is one of those things that's been used since the dawn of time, and we're the only... The only creatures really on the on the on the earth that understand that actually can understand what music is, <laughs> and True. it's been it's as part of uh, humanity and since the dawn of time, and it's well, it's a mirror image. It's a mirror image. Is what you it feel is. like taking a call, Lips? Because we got a call coming in. Sure, sure. All righty, we got my pal Jimmy calling in. Jimmy Swader? What's up, brother, man? What is happening, man? It's been a while. How you been? I'm outside cooking steaks on the grill, man. All right right on. You got a question for Lips? Uh, I'm not really too familiar with the music. I mean, I've heard of Anvil and I've seen the movie. But, you know, I'm, like, more into death metal and all that stuff. So, I mean, uh, I just give you all props, man, for being, you know, the band that you are and being around as long as you've been around, you know? Right on, man. How did the movie affect you? Like, what kind of impact did it have when it... Did it light a fire under your ass like it did to me or does to me every time I watch it? I mean, I just thought it was pretty cool how, how, how metal movies put out, you know? I think any metal movie is awesome. You know, they're able to uh, express their feelings and stuff like that in their music. And, you know, music is what helps me, you know, from day to day. If it wasn't for music, man, I don't know what I would do. True, true. Lips, do you get a lot of people now that are fans of the movies but not necessarily fans of Anvil? Are you seeing that phenomena? Or is it just all Anvil well, fans uh, pretty much across uh, the board? No, it's actually no, it's it, it's actually quite the other way around. Um, the movie the movie audience is way, way, way bigger than the metal community itself in, in general. And they're not going to buy Anvil records. They're not even going to come see us, but they root, they'll root they'll root for me, and they know who I am. But are they are? But they're at the same time they're not going to buy death metal records either. <laughs> so All right. Um, and that and and the cross genre stuff, you know, that's like I was talking about before. All the music is connected because they're all using they're all using the same instrumentation. You know, they're all using electric guitars with drums, and they're singing on whatever. And the singing is actually what gives it the, more of its identity, even more so than even what the guitars or the drums are doing. But it's um, the people themselves. You, you pick and choose what suits your soul, and you go after it. And you listen for it. And that's what it is. So it's just music. Uh, well, I know how like it or I'm hardwired. If because I I was in a band for a while and we did our one piddly little album, and I know if I was in your shoes, like I I'm the kind of person who's obsessive where I would be like I want all these people to be Angel fans. It's cool they like the movies, but I got to get albums into their hands. Did you feel like that, or were you just satisfied that they got something out of the movie and was able to walk away with something from the movie, or were you like I want them to be Angel fans? Um, you know, the musician part of me, of course, there's, there's a bit of a heartache because I, I of course, I, you got to realize you can't, especially musically, 
And what did I start out to be? It's metal. It's not pop music. What am I? I can't delude yourself into believing I'm going to become big as Def Leppard. It's not going to happen, man. Not doing right. what I'm doing. Come on, it's, you got there's a, a state of reality that comes with what I'm doing. So, and I can't be disappointed on any level, and I'm not. And it's not like I'm looking for I'm looking for that. I never have been, so it's still not. So it's still not in my sight. So I don't have the expectation. So therefore, I would never have the disappointment. Um, <clears throat> it's just a, it's a, an interesting thing. So. Uh, I have a fan base that keeps the, or my, me, my musical career uh, intact and, and a plausible and, and meaningful existence. And how much more can you ask? That's success, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you've been all over the world. You're definitely successful. You've had experiences I'm never going to have. And I see that, and I envy that, and I'm happy for you guys that you have that. So, I mean, you definitely, at the end of the day, can hold your head up and say, I've had you an know, impact on this planet. You know, you know here's, here's an interesting, an interesting uh, bit of a story. And it, it's much in the same way that, that brought the fate for Sasha to make that movie. Um, it continues and always has. Just recently, I made friends with this this guy in Japan, and he, it became very apparent that he's extremely enthusiastic, like a major fan since he was a very young kid. And uh, he's just all of a sudden made himself known to me, and I started communicating with him over the Internet for a couple months, and then he went on this campaign to try to get us to be playing at Loud Park this year, which wasn't, it just didn't happen for whatever reason. I mean, so we'll go next year, but it didn't happen this year. So he got really okay. upset, and he decided he's going to come from Tokyo to Toronto just to see our, our shows here in Toronto. Like, that's how much he's, it meant to him. So he bought himself a ticket to come to Toronto. I wouldn't let him stay in a hotel. He stayed at my house, man. That's nice. awesome. That is awesome. I mean, that, that's what I did. So he stayed at that's my awesome. house. We had four shows in a row. Um, he had to leave after the third show. And the night that I brought him back after the third show, we were standing in my kitchen. It must have been about 2.30 in the morning. And the poor guy broke down into tears. Aww. And, I, and I can't tell you about how incredible it felt to me having been responsible to give somebody that much, that much joy. I, 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 I've never been paid like that. You know what I'm saying? That's more than yeah, a king's currency. That's more than a king's ransom, dude. It doesn't get a bigger compliment in, as far as a level of humanity is concerned. I, I don't know how to put it into words. But those kind of things are what are are what I term as the most valuable. And that, mm -hmm. that's why I'm talking about, about this. 
it's not that okay. I just did it. I just did a bunch of shows in South America, and I'll, I'm going to tell you how much money I made or didn't make. You know right. what I mean? It's yeah, not definitely. about that. It's not about that. You know, it's like sometimes the small things like that are 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 so meaningful. It's incredible. You know, or you you know, or look at the the, the passion all over the world of, of people like that for. For music, I mean that's uh, pretty. That's pretty incredible, man. So when you sit down and think to yourself about the impact that you personally, just your lyrics, your songs, have had on people all over the world. I mean, I've had an impact on like twelve people with my music. You've had an impact <laughs> on probably tens of thousands. How, how do you process that? Are you overwhelmed by that when you sit down and think like there's some kid in Brazil rocking out right this second to an Anvil album, or how do you process having that kind of impact on this planet? Well, you don't. The real truth is you don't just carry on as if it's another day. You don't think about things like that. You can't. That's megalomania. I don't know how you get there. I, 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 don't, know the, I don't know the directions, and I, I don't want to. You know what I mean? It's like how do you get that self-indulged? You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's, I think maybe... That's why you are often, who you are. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure that those kind of things are the kind of things that get to a lot of very famous people. And I, I, I can understand it. Sometimes there's, there are moments that I feel a little bit, yeah, overwhelmed, yes. Overwhelmed in the sense that are these people crazy? Can't they see a, that I'm just a regular person? What are they going... Are, why are these people hysterical? Like, what's going on here? Isn't this a little bit too much? Yeah, but, but let me interject. A regular person who would have gave up way, like a very long, 20 years down the road, they wouldn't have had, like I said in the intro, this pathological dedication to just soldier on and have that so much faith in yourself that kind of separates you from a regular person right there because so many people quit as soon as something gets a little bit challenging for them. So I think that's mm-hmm. why people gravitate towards people like that because they're willing to sacrifice sweat and blood to get where they want to be. So, you know, I'm not trying to put you up on a pedestal. Don't get me wrong. I'm just always fascinated when I meet people at your level, especially when they're so humble, because it's like you, you kind of are a little bit beyond the average person just by virtue of who you are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I sorta. It's, I mean, that's it's it's hard to think of what effect your life has on other people. You too. I think generally speaking, most of us are uh, work from inside out rather than outside to in. You know what I mean? Like that's more yeah, normal definitely. to just carry on your life from the inside to out. And how you project yourself, and not so, and worried about how you're perceived, rather than rather than living up to how you're perceived. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm not trying to change your whole outlook. I don't want you to get off the phone and be like, "Oh, that Nick guy's right. I'm awesome," and totally change. No, 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 no man. From... It, 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 it ain't gonna help happen, man. My shit still stinks. Sorry. Nice. <laughs> hey, Nick. Like, yeah, Jimmy. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, definitely. 
right, I'm actually 40 years old now, and uh, I wasn't able to do the metal thing like I wanted to do. I'm a lead guitar player. I've been playing guitar since I was 10 years old. I raised my kids, man. My kids are of age now. I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to tour. I just want to ask, how is it, how is it uh, being overseas is, is my dream. I want to be able to play in front of 500,000 people. I just want to have, how does it feel to play in front of that many people, sir? Believe it or not, it really doesn't, it's actually annoying because you don't get the, you don't get the personal, the personal uh, attachment that you would in a small club. Right. It, seem, it seems uh, that the gratification is much further away. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's certainly, and, and the, other, the other aspect is the overwhelming feeling that you have to be so perfect and you're under the gun. It's, um, it, 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 it kind of draws from your, from your uh, performance in, in a certain sense because you, you're, you're playing under stress. You're not completely comfortable because of the numbers, I if you understand what I mean. It's not a matter of stage fright. It's a matter of, mm-hmm. it's a matter of keeping perfect, keep making it perfect and being under the stress of wanting perfection. Not that you're in fear of making a mistake. It's wanting perfection. That the stress becomes level, takes away from the fun. You know what? I, if you understand what I mean. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. But I, it's, I, it's a it's a lot more fun playing in front of uh, in front of fifteen thousand people than it is playing in front of eighty thousand. Yeah. You know. Well, and as the numbers get bigger, it gets sort of less fun because. More concerned about the numbers. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know. It's. I love doing it all. There isn't any aspect, and I, even when I'm at, under the gun like that, I, I tend to relax. It's usually the first few moments, and then it's just like all the other gigs, because the truth right. is. The real truth is, every performance, you're striving for that perfection. Uh, whether it's 10 people or whether it's 100 people. And you also enjoy yourself the same way. If you truly are, um, if you truly have that in your blood to be a performer, you just like to perform whether it's for two people or 10 people or 20 million people. You don't care. It's just as long as you get to do your thing. But the, okay. truth, be, the truth be told you're in the same band, you're playing the same songs, you're doing them in the same order, you're, on the, you're taking up the same space on stage, your monitors are where they always are, your amplifier and your guitar sound is the same as it always is. So really, is anything any different? It's just how many people are sitting in front of you. But after you get started and you get going, it doesn't make any difference. It's just another performance. Mm-hmm. And that's what it and that's what it turns into. Certainly, by the, at this point, for Angus Young, um, every night is that. So, when you become accustomed to it, that's what it is. Yeah. And you just become, you become it's like putting on an old pair of shoes. You're accustomed to it. And I think that that can be said 
um, I think I suffered from it, uh, more as a young a young performer in that regard. In my first in my first you know when I because now I've got such a huge retrospective of the whole situation I can go and think about well you know uh, 30 years ago when I first started out and I was opening for Iron Maiden I remember almost shit in my pants I was so scared you know what I mean right I can and imagine I, 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 and I can think about that but you know then I, I go well I just played Wacken in front of 80,000 people and I was totally comfortable with that I wish I, and I remember after doing these huge performances that I've done in the most recent times, I'm going, God, what I would have done to have had the, the confidence and the, the, um, the calmness that I have today when I was in my 20s. Yeah. And, and it's, it's about experience, you know? I mean, that's the best way you can describe it, and it just be... Just like everything else in life, it becomes normal. Like imagine being a doctor and you're or a surgeon and you're you're learning your first surgery and you're there. You've got the head surgeon standing beside you and the guys saying, "Okay, open the patient," and you've never done it before. You're going to be yeah. scared. Exactly. I mean, you've seen it done a thousand times and you've you've even you've even practiced on all kinds of of of, of whatever and you you know you've. But then here's the real living patient, and you're standing there going, oh, my God. It's the same thing. But once you get involved and you start doing these things and get used to it, that's what you do. It, it's just like any other vocation or any other, any other uh, human ability. It's just that's the way it is. Practice makes So sense. with 30 years in, how do you keep it fresh if it is the same set and the same amps how do you keep it new where it's just like it was for 20, 20 years ago? Well, or is that impossible? Well, no, actually, where, where I derive the, the most newness is I've come to be able to identify the personality of a situation, like of, of, of a club or of a, of a, of a, or of a festival and the, the mood of the people. And the mood of the people can really dictate the way you... Uh, perform and definitely that to, energy and you learn to work within those those parameters and how to make it work for you and those are the things that actually make every night is different even in the same city every night is different and, and it doesn't make, mean that it's better or worse it's just different and it has its own personality in its own way and that depends on the moment. Not every night is the same because I'm not the same. My mood might be different. Maybe the audience's mood. Maybe I might have a heckler. Maybe I might have somebody who says something that sparks something that I that makes me say something that I never said before. And those spontaneous, the spontaneousness of 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 it all is, I, I think, is probably the has been the the biggest key. Uh, for my longevity and to be able to actually embrace that and and run with it to, and and some people call it jamming, you know, you can do it. You mentally jam. You can talk to an audience and jam with the audience, with verb, with with you with what you're verbalizing, right? That's so awesome. It, 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 that's what makes it all different. Yes, the songs are all the same, but the people aren't. Not in the room. Different yeah. people every night. Well, so is there any noticeable difference? 
between fans today than, say, 30 years ago? What's the biggest contrast between fans 20-something-year-olds today and 20-something-year-olds 30 years ago when you were playing? Um, well, to a great degree, there's, I think an audience is an audience. Um, there was a certain kind of audience that came with the, 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 the real thrashy dead death metal stuff that, you know, with the moshing and everything that was different from, let's say, power metal, where everybody would just stand there and watch. Right. be moshing or body surfing. Um, there was a, I think those, were, those are somewhat trendy aspects of the metal genre. Um, and it's hard to even say that, isn't it? To say that metal has trend to it. But I think it's, it's part of what it all is. It's actually pretty comical. It's like Was it a lot more start... aggressive 30 years ago? Was it a lot more likely to be fights at an Anvil show 30 years ago? No. No. I don't, hmm. I, I, I don't really see it as... Like, I, I, if I really start thinking about it, I don't really see it any different at all. Uh, for Anvil, I don't think it's ever been, I don't really think it's ever been any different. It's always sort of the same. We're a band that, that people tend to watch rather than, rather than actually, like, I've been to shows where people aren't even watching the band. There's just a big circle of people beating on each other and moshing, you know what I mean? I don't think that it makes any difference what band is on stage, but generally when I people watch people watch an Anvil show, they're almost participating in the show in the sense that, like I'll have them sing in the middle section of Forge and Fire, what used to be the rhythm guitars, I have you know, everybody going, ah, 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 right. ah, ah, uh, and then I just play the guitar solo on top of it, which is magical and musical, and the audience is participating in. Um, and it makes it spontaneous. It doesn't work every night. Sometimes they start, and then they lose it, and they don't continue for, the, for them to uh, identify the beauty in what they're actually creating. They're not realizing that they're creating something. Um, it, it's, in, it's, it's really interesting. I do a lot of different things. Um, it's, it's very important to make an audience participate in your performance because then they're part of it. Right, you and want them to be more, invested. Yeah, that's right. And that's, how, that's you know, there's a, most bands play at their audience. They don't play with their audience. Right. You should, the, the best bands play with their audience. That's what I think. Is there a huge energy difference playing now with three instead of four, like say ten years ago? And why? Why did that? How was that decision made to drop having an uh, extra guitar in there? Oh well, that's a, that's another that's a, well, what became uh, initially when we first started, we were, I mean, when Rob and I first started back in '73, we were a three-piece band. It was as simple as that. We, we didn't. It wasn't until um, wasn't until actually Kiss and Nugent a little later on that we started going. You know what? That that's kind of attractive. Let's get let's get a second guitar. Nice. And that's how, why we 
and that's why we had Dave Allison. It was we were trying to make some kind of in imitation emulation of what we were listening to at the time. <laughs> and did you feel like the music what, would be more powerful with that fourth person in it? Like it would just amplify the energy, or was it more of a technical? <laughs> we could do more technical if I'm freed up. Well, that's it. It was like, well, if I'm going to become the lead vocalist, then maybe I better get a rhythm guitarist so that I don't have to necessarily have to be playing when I'm singing. Right. But as I went along, I never followed the philosophy. I've always been playing as I'm singing. I never really depended on it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it became redundant. All the guy's doing is everything that I normally do. That I'm doing anyways. And it's just it's just making well, it louder, and it makes it louder, harder for for the to hear each other on stage because what was happening is the guitars become louder yeah. than the bass and the drums and the vocals. Yeah. You got twice as much guitar. Interesting. So, so you actually feel is, freed up, not having that rhythm guitar. <laughs> Well, what, what, what happens is that the, the sound, the sound pie, which I call it the sound pie, all of a sudden you've got bigger pieces, right? Because you're not chopping it into four, you're chopping it in, into three. Now nice. you've got a whole, yeah. So now, okay, now wait a minute. Now that, that means something significant at the end of the day because what happens is when you take out that rhythm guitar, all of a sudden the bass guitar becomes a really important facet in your sound. Right. And so does and so does the drums. But when the drums with a drummer like Rob Reiner being uh, obliterated by having too much guitar is is actually detrimental. Sorry, I, I just it's just the way I look at it. It's detrimental. The cream didn't have two guitars. It could have. You know, Jeff Beck or, or Jimmy Page could have played guitar along with Eric and the Cream and made a super band, but they didn't. Right. right. And if they yeah, had, then maybe maybe we wouldn't appreciate Ginger Baker for all the wonderful work that he did as a drummer, or Jack Bruce as, as the prime example of what great bass playing and drumming is. This is everybody has to step up their game. When you play three-piece, it's serious, man. There's no room for error. Everybody's, everybody's part is bare naked and right, right out there for everybody to hear it and see it. There's no question about what you're hearing. And every aspect, is, it's totally, everything is dependent on each other. Any one of those three things miss, missing, there's something huge missing. Exactly. Never mind if you, if you you if my guitar stops playing and all you got is drums and bass, you're gonna notice it. Now, I agree, sir. Drums, because I just went. If the drums drop out, what happened? <laughs> right. Yeah. In a three-piece band, everything must be integrally better. So it's almost there's a certain aspect that's really was super attractive to Rob, even more so than to me. Because he's going, now everybody's going to hear what the fuck I've been playing for all these years. Exactly. Right. And, you Did know, you feel tighter And, and, the, and the mad the egotist that he is, he, he loves to hear it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. 
Did you feel tighter well, with the rest of the band once the rhythm guitarist left? Do you feel like that made you a more cohesive unit? Did you actually play better? Yeah, it actually really improved my... I had to improve it. It, it, it was actually quite... Uh, it was actually really, really fascinating for me as a player. I'd gotten so used to having that other guitar there, and I didn't realize how much I was kind of leaning on it. Wow, so it became a clutch kind of. Yeah, not even so much a crutch, but it would it would also I could be sloppier and get away with it. No one ever know the difference. Right. Wow. See? Started, awesome. Including my and including myself, because when you got the second guitar, you're not hearing yourself as clearly. So therefore, when you don't hear yourself as clearly, how well are you playing? As well as you can hear yourself. That's exactly. how well you're playing. So I've got another call coming play. in. All the, yeah, okay, go ahead. Let me take this other call. Um, we got Chris from Virginia Beach. Hello. Are you with me? Hello. Yeah, this is Chris. What's up, Chris? Hey, what's happening? Am, am You're I on, on the radio? Lips from Anvil. You are absolutely on the radio. Hey, uh, what's up, Anvil uh, player? Is this uh, who? What part uh, member of Anvil am I speaking with? You're speaking to Lips. Oh, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing okay, man. What's up? What's going on? Oh, not too much, man. I'm over here in Virginia Beach in this place that doesn't have places uh, that plays too much good music anymore, man. In fact, dude, I know I have in my thousands of record collection, I have a couple of your records. That's cool. Hey, man, I used to come down to Virginia Beach when I was a kid. In fact, my dad wanted to buy a, a motel and have me learn how to run it. <laughs> but I didn't want to do it. I wanted to become a, a guitar player. <laughs> yeah, Virginia uh, yeah. Beach is definitely one of my favorite places on the planet. So you got I'm well, sure back in the eighties it was it was rocking, but now it's like it's like a communist state. Well they call it Commonwealth, I call it a communist state. <laughs> Why is I that agree. the music scene? Well, you know, just like, you know, growing up in the 80s, dude, you know how it was, man. You could do whatever you want. Nowadays, man, it's a crime to have fun, man. You know what I mean? Just just rocking down the road, having your metal, you know, just doing what we used to do, man. It ain't like back in the day. No. Have you seen a huge change? I know you're in Canada, and I know a lot of people around the world probably oh, you're think in, America hey, oh, you're in Canada, lost dude? their man, mine, yeah. Uh, what's that um, like? What's Canada like? Yeah. It's like any other place, really. You know, it's, not, it's probably not any different than your environment. You know, I think that we all, I think what, what's changed most in in the years that have gone by is the general attitude. Yeah. There's a very, there's a very negative attitude out there. People listen to music go, or a new band, and they're going, I ain't going to like this. It's going to suck. And they have that attitude. Prove me wrong. Everything sucks. Prove me wrong. That's the biggest difference from the old days. The old days when you'd hear of a band, I remember, you know, like, have you heard of Praya Mantis? And you go, what's that? Yeah. And everybody went, I want to hear that. And now you go, have you ever heard of this band Dying Fetus or... Or yeah, I just saw him Saturday night, dude. Anal blast. 
You know, like you're going, oh yeah, I, that's going to be really good. Like you always yeah. have the, and and part of it, part of it is what bands are calling themselves is even negative. You know, I think that's what that's what's mostly changed. Um, and something something's not for the better. Like you know, um, a lot of the death metal that's that's out there. I don't know whether they're embarrassed by the name that they call themselves or or what, but I'm trying to figure out why they would design their logos so you can't read them. How are you supposed to identify what the name of your band is if you can't even read the logo? Like that. Yeah, is, I, I, I got. It. Well, who, who, you know, you've been around for a long time. Uh, you know, who who are you inspired by? Like, what made you uh, Anvil? What made you? Uh, who who are you inspired by? I mean, you're talking about in, in the eighties, Black like Sabbath. Well, who's the Black alphabet? Sabbath, of course. Black See, Sabbath. Me personally, me, I, I was uh, more into. Um, I like I like the like the bands. Uh, have you ever heard of like like Hollow's Eve? Yeah, that's that's a later a later band in the eighties. Yeah. Well, they're like early eighties, but um, that they're like the 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 brink, I believe, to me, like uh. Of the beginning of like death metal in a way, of like right. crash and stuff like that. But I mean, I grew up like with metal bands, and I grew up personally. My my style of music was uh, I grew up like punk, like the Sex Pistols and the Dead Boys and Ramones and stuff like that. But as far as metal bands, I I like Quiet Riot, Twisted Sister, and um, I like stuff like Wasp, and uh, that 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 was like. Wasp was a scary band in the early '80s, man. That 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 was like that was a pretty tough band, and um, I don't know, but like today's new music, I, I totally agree with you. Can't it, it's all repetitious. It it, it kind of sucks. Well, going man. back to Lips's point, I think another thing is is you can get any music now at a click of a button, and back in the '80s when we were kids. Finding that album that nobody heard of—that was a fucking treasure hunt. And when you exactly. found it, people were excited. And that was and that was part of the what made it all attractive. Hey, absolutely, dude. You're absolutely right, man. Because it made you know when you bought an album, man, you actually spent more time with it. You looked at the album cover and you spent more time with that album. And and nowadays it's like a, you know, like like Nick just said, it's a click of a button. You don't even respect it. You know what I mean? It's like a new album comes out. Oh, well, I got, I got three hundred more that I can just click on. But back in the day, in the eighties, man, when you bought an album, man, you were really into that band and that album. You you had to buy it and you appreciated it. Well, that, I remember there's a very good. That, there's a very good important point right there in just what you said. You appreciated it, but you paid for it. So in other words, what we're talking about there is, the, is, is part of the deterioration of the philosophy behind what's going on with music. If we don't have to pay for it, we don't value it the same way. That's why a t-shirt is worth more than the music, than owning the CD. That's actually the very, that's the very saddest part. It was the it was the red flag that that Lars put up back a number of years ago when he went after Napster. Right. Hey, I'll give you. 
Hey, dude, I'll tell you oh, what, man. God. I'll give you a story. In 1983, um, make it quick. Yeah, I was up talking everything, minutes. but uh, you know, this is before Motley Crue was all glam. But uh, Motley Crue's "Shout of the Devil" came out, and I, man, I remember I, I moved out of the city, and I was in this little country area down in um, Southern Maryland, and I remember going to collect aluminum cans, and I walked all the way up to the Safeway grocery store, which you could take a bag of cans, and uh, they give you money. I collected about two bags. I made six, like six fifty. It was seven dollars for a cassette. This is when cassettes were, uh, and vinyl was big too. And but I bought it on a cassette, and I remember um, get, getting that money. And uh, man, that Shout the Devil album was a great album, you know, for the time. And you and you valued it because look how hard you had to work to get it. Uh, absolutely, man. It's just. You know, and uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an element to all that. I, I actually yeah. believe that. And it's definitely yeah, I really now. believe that. When you can download them, I mean, there's no anticipation. I remember when I was young, and if a cartoon was coming on for my youth, like once in a while, Channel 20 would play like HR Puffin stuff, and me and my friends would HR get together. HR Puffin stuff, my favorite show. Yeah, just to freaking well, watch that. We would get together just to watch, and now. You can go on YouTube and watch any show that was ever invented since the dawn of time. That, that, There's no more Jack, anticipation or excitement. Jack Wild. That was that was HR Puffin stuff, right? For Jack Wild. Hey. I didn't know what his name was. I, I, I remember Jimmy, and he had the little golden flute, and he, the little golden flute the witch always wanted. I used to watch that show with the uh, uh, Croft Superstars or something like that. I think. Or what was it called, right, Nick? Well, I'm... listen, we're getting off topic here, and I've only got a couple minutes, and I want to get to the new album. Lips, can you tell us a little bit about the new album? I know this is kind of like a full circle type of, I don't know, I mean, is this album all about vindication, like you finally feel like you're being heard, or just, can you give us like a little bit of background on Hope and Hell? Well, I think that it's, um, we finally identified who we are. And instead of trying to be anybody else but ourselves, we really found it to be really, we got really comfortable with ourselves, probably the more, more, more so than we ever have. Um, because I think what happens as you go through your career, at, at the, initially you're, you're poking in the darkness and you're creating, you don't even know what you're creating. You don't know what your style is and you create it, simply by accident and out of innocence. And then after that, you start to educate yourself and you start putting, you start putting the, the kitchen sink into your music and you get lost in this integrity, chase for integrity and chase to, to outdo yourself. And then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and you're going, you know what, whatever I did in innocence without knowing, just by being myself and just experimenting and doing whatever came natural, that was actually the road to have stayed on or been on all along, and all of a sudden you become comfortable, that's what I'm going to do. So whatever I come up with is going to be my own identity because I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to be like anybody but myself. So being myself, it just means like whatever I feel like today or whatever ever comes out of me musically, if when I put a plug my guitar and I start playing and I start making something up. That's what it is. Nothing more than that. 
And once you're just able to accept that, just go with it, and instead of going, well, what, what should I do next? Make it up. Don't worry about what right. you do next. If you stop thinking about it and just let it happen and unfold, it got done properly. And it's about spontaneity. It's about the same, having the same attitude about when you go play live. It's also when you go create music. You have to have the, the instant spontaneity to that, well, okay, we need a verse. Okay, what do I feel like? Okay, that, there's the verse. Okay, that's the verse. Riff. Okay, well, you know, you, most of the time you start out with that chorus riff. Okay, you know where the chorus riff is. Well, what am I going to do for a verse? And then you get a verse, and then you go, okay, well, then you... Rob and I start up and we we start with the chorus riff into the song and then we go to the verse and then what do I feel like going next? Okay, oh I got a sub I got a sub chorus. That next part and you work in the sub chorus and then you're back to the chorus. Okay now okay we got the first part of the song done. Okay now we need we got to write a guitar solo section. Hmm what are we gonna do for that? Okay let's start jamming. You, you start playing and then you get to the section that you didn't know what you're gonna do and you just start playing. Whatever comes to the, whatever you felt like at the moment, and all of a sudden the part appears. And so you can't just sit down and within, write a song on command. You have to have that spontaneity, and it just flow out of you. Well, that's it's actually exactly it's exactly that. You do it on demand. I'm demanding myself to do this right now. Come up with it. Instead, and don't pre-think it. Don't overthink it. Just come up with it. What's the, what's the matter? You're, if you really are an artist, that's what you do. You take from nothing and make something. So do it. That's your job. What's the problem? Right. That's, what you, have to, I will, that's I, what you have to look at it. It is the way it is. And that's how you get your best work, is not, is not focusing to the point where you lose perspective. You've got to just let it naturally fall out. If it doesn't... Right, you definitely have to stay out of your own head and just let it happen. Yeah, I mean, and what we did for, for all of this new album was we just followed that that philosophy. Okay, what do we feel like doing today? We start into a riff and we get, a, get within 45 minutes, the song, the basic structure of the song is, is created. And from that, you just hone it and get your parts down even better. Sometimes you... Uh, Add a little bit here, take away there, or you figure out what the overdubs are going to be, and then you figure out what the melody is going to be. But the basic structure of the song, written in 45 minutes. Your best songs you're ever going to write, that's how it's done. Are you agree? Did you have a question, I mean, that's, that, that's how Metal on Metal was written. That's how Fortune Fire was written. All the early albums, instantaneously. You don't spend hours laboring on something. The more you labor, the further the further you are from where you got to be. Gotcha, Jimmy. Did Can you I have something to add? Yeah. Are you a three-piece band now on your new album? Just, I, I mean, I, I just saw Dying Fetus up at uh, Empire, and I'm blown, blown away with the three-piece band like Destruction, uh, Dying Fetus. Uh, are you a three-piece band now, or or how many band yeah, members? Well, we've we've been a three-piece band now for. Um, since ten years, right? Well, no, since this is thirteen. So and that was what two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, the, the guitarist left before we even began touring with that record. He virtually didn't record anything. He recorded two solos on it, 
that was it. But other than that, he didn't play any rhythms, didn't do anything. In fact, he didn't do any of the rhythms on or much soloing on the albums he was on previous to that. That's why we got rid of the second guitarist. It's just a, a waste of time. Yeah. It wasn't, gotcha. And it wasn't, it was killing the sound. It was wasting time. It wasn't being additive. Then there's no point. That's how we got there. And I've got to tell you, I've never been happier. I have much right, well, props for, 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 you know, seeing it. Actually, watching a three-piece band, being behind the stage where I was at for Dying Fetus, man, I am blown away with just how much talent and how much, you know, ability that you're using with that three-piece band. I mean, you're, you're just, it's just extreme. It's hard to explain the feeling that I felt while I was watching that, man. I was just blown away. Dude, you know, you know what, what you actually, the three-piece band it's the most important elements of a piece of music. That's all that's there. There's nothing else there. You know, you know what I'm saying? So any, yeah. one, of those piece, any one of those three pieces, if, if it's missing, it's gone. It's, not, it's like the power of three. Yep. You know what I mean? Strip it, it's, down. It's, it's bare essentials, it's the bare essentials, and when you're when you've got that, and it's it's amazing what what you can do with it. Yeah, absolutely, it absolutely, incredibly amazing what can be done with that, and the freedom in it. There's a level of freedom that you can't get with four guys. Yeah, it blows my mind, man. It really does. All right, last question. Well, we got to go. We're singing, almost out of time. If this yeah, all ended today, Lips... Sorry. What's that? Sorry. If this all ended today, if Anvil was over today, do you feel like mission accomplished? Do you feel like you did what you were set on this earth to do? I would have to say that you never, you never feel um, complete. I don't think at any point, I don't think any, anybody in their right mind could ever feel that way. Um, because even 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 in your last breath, you're going to still wish for another one. If you understand right. what I mean, but it's it's. Yeah. Uh, um, I think it's the human spirit to want to continue. Um, so I don't. I really don't. I don't see it as. I don't really see it that way. I I I, I'm happy with everything I've ever done. Okay, and to say that I've done it all. I haven't done it. To, I haven't done it all until I lit, breathe my last breath. So, yeah. um, would I be content? I think is mo- what, what you're asking. Yes, I would be content. Right. Have I have I gotten everything I've ever wanted? Probably not. And you know what? I don't think any human being ever in the existence of of the world has ever gotten everything they've ever wanted. And if they if they have, they're probably not as happy as they probably should. Yeah, they're miserable. <laughs> and they got yeah. everything they wanted. Yeah. All right. And well, you, I think part of part of what makes life worth living is wanting. Yep. You know? that's, that's exactly true. You got to have a goal. You got to have a dream. You got to have a uh, an end game. You got to. You got to have a tomorrow. 
I think the whole thing is more. That's what we all want, more. Do you think it's too another, easy another for day kids life, today that they don't have that perspective because they have so much access to so much media and information? Do you think they no, kind of don't I, have I, that I, thing? No, they have hopelessness it, it, because there's so much. Because there's so much, it's so much adversity to get past. It makes it really hard, much more, much more hopeless feeling. I think it's hard to have a, a positive feeling when the world makes you feel so insignificant. I think that's one of the hardest things for people to get over, you know? True. Well, Lips, I could go on talking to you, honestly, for another five hours, but we've got about three minutes of the show left. I want to thank all the callers for calling in. I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a great hour and a half. Um, is there anything you want to say on the way out for the fans? Uh, not, not, not in particular. Nothing. I think what I want to say most of all is how badly I want to come play for everybody. I mean, that's that's what I live for. I'd love it's to like see I said, it's not. It's not. It's not about making money, man. It's just about playing. My my payment is those moments on stage when I get to be and do what I am. I mean, it, it's the most useful that you can feel, right? Yeah, I agree. But that, I've been on stage, being, so that and being that and being someone's husband and someone's dad. Those are the things that are fulfilling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants to be heard. That's an. I think yeah. that's a necessity up there with food and shelter. Yep. People want to be heard. Unfortunately, a lot of people only know how to express themselves negatively to be heard. Yes. They're not putting enough positive into the world. But I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. Um, I'll keep in touch with you. Next time you've got something coming on or when you come to the States, when you're coming out to this area, I'd definitely love to have you on the show again, Lips. Okay, that would be great, man. Hopefully All righty, I want to thank I'm Hopefully sorry? it will be sooner. It will be sooner than later. That's all. <laughs> Any plans of coming to the states or coming out Midwest? No, I don't know, man. That's the thing. That's what I'm saying. I'm hoping it's sooner than later. And I use gotcha. the word hope. I hope. Well, in hell. speaking of hope, we've got hope in hell coming up. I want to thank everybody. This has been Wednesday night uh, musical osmosis. I believe we'll be back in two weeks with the vindictives. I'm sorry, not the vindictives, the vandals. And here goes Hope and Health. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thanks.